All right, so, um, can you tell me something I really didn't need to know? Hey, Mom, tell me something I didn't need to know. So how about let's learn something we really don't need to know. Hi, Mary. Hi, Hannah. How are you today? I'm awesome. I know you are. I'm always good. Yay! You're... Life is good. Life is wonderful. Life is great. Woo woo! It is sunny out, and your garden looked beautiful when I pulled I know. in. My garden makes oh, me so goodness. happy. It's well, doing so great. Welcome, everyone, welcome. to tell me something I didn't need to know. I am Mary Swartz. I'm Hannah Green. We are your conductors for this train of lunacy. <laughs> That's that a good way of putting it. Might fall off the tracks, might stay on. Oh, it's it, optional. It, it regularly gets derailed. <laughs> we just have to be experts at kind of sort of getting it back on the tracks. Yeah, we make it look good and sound good. <laughs> All right. So, today being September 5th, um, I have to say, I listened to our episode of Murder Moscato last week, sat in my driveway and laughed till I cried. So, and all I can think of is there's people out there who are just gonna, they're just, we have listeners. We have actual listeners who make a lot of comments and reviews and stuff now. Yeah. And I could just figure, I think his name is David. Dan. Dan. I don't care. He's just going to be dying. He's going to be hysterically dying. I actually did message him and say, wait till you hear this episode because you're going to die. Yeah, he seems to he seems to find amusement in every episode we do for Murder Moscato. So he actually uh, brings me a lot of really awesome, interesting questions. Oh, good. And and we have very interesting dialogue about the things that we cover. So that's that's really cool for me. Yes, it was an awesome episode. We had a lot of fun doing it. Um, murder can be gruesome, and we tend to bring a little bit of comedic humor to it, and that makes me happy. Yeah. So yeah. I'm glad, because everyone deserves to be happy. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, everybody, for joining us today. Yeah. Um, yeah, we appreciate your time. Yay! I hopefully you have a good time with us. Yeah, we hope that everything in your life is peachy keen, and if it's not, at least we will hopefully add a little laughter to your life. Did you say peachy keen on purpose? I didn't, but now that you mention it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Peachy keen it is. Well, today we are drinking a drink that I call Beppa's Mimosas. Beppa's Mimosas. So, Beppa is my daughter's boyfriend, his grandma. That's what they call her. It is uh, the word for uh, grandma in the language of the country she comes from. I want to say it might be Dutch, but I uh, don't hold me to that. Anyway, she and I were talking recently, and she's a very amazing woman. She and I were talking recently about drinks. No big surprise there. While we enjoyed a glass of wine together, and she mentioned a drink that she had made for all the friends in her condo uh, development while they were down in Florida, and... This is it. Yay. So today we are drinking. We chose to use Verde, and we chose to use Peach Verde, uh, which is a sparkling wine, and Orange Sherbert. So her version was a sparkling wine like Asti and Orange Sherbert. So we're, we're doing a variation of that with the peach sparkling wine. And they are beautiful and uh, tasty. Very, very tasty. All right, let's try this thing. Ready? I sucked up some of the foam, and that was good. Oh, you won't like that. Don't drink that. You need oh. to give me your glass. Yeah, save me from myself. Oh, that's pretty amazing. I see refills coming up in our future about halfway through this podcast. Oh, my goodness. That's so delicious. Good. Mm. Wonderful. Yay. All right, so Wednesday, September 8th. Murder, Mischief, and Moscato. Bite the bullet and shoot a fish. Uh, apparently, I came up with that all by myself. Because sometimes Mary has a hard time putting phrases together appropriately. Sometimes I take phrases and they don't belong together and I kind of mix and match. I mix and match my phraseology. Hey. Um, Johanna brings us the story of John DuPont, which was quite an interesting, mystifying. You don't generally think of 
well-to-do or rich people as having mental illness, but obviously that was not the case in this story. It's a good story. Um, and another one bites the dust corner is about Lisa Marie Purchase, 1983. Awesome. Yes. So that's amazing stuff coming up. Yeah. All right, September 5th. Yes. Be late for something day. <laughs> I know people who are late for everything, so. Well, this is that's their day. The, this particular holiday aims to promote the positive parts of procrastination. Probably should have waited until like the 6th to tell you about this. Oh, all right. For example, those who focus more on spending quality time with customers and family versus being punctual, those kind of people seem less anxious overall. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Because we stress on being on time. We stress when people are late. I hate being late. Hate Me it, too. Hate it, hate it. So basically, you ditch the clock for the day, and another focus of the day takes a look at missed opportunities. Is it really too late to put that birthday card in the mail that you didn't send? Um, don't necessarily have to look at chores with a skeptical eye that day. You might not want to do it, but it never really is too late to get started on them. All that stuff you might have put off. And while you're being late for something, take a minute, stop and smell the roses. Slow down for a little bit. You have a hectic life. You are generally on the go. Oh, yeah. Stop and smell the roses, Hannah. Oh, hi, I'm, trust me, right now. It's called the drink in my hand. Enjoy the scenery. Take a couple extra minutes at lunch. Procrastination will definitely be worth it. I have to say, every Sunday lately, I uh, I have been, after I get out of work, I've actually been taking time to go have dinner with a friend. Good for you. And after dinner, we just hang out in the parking lot and talk until... The streetlights come on, you hear your mama calling. <laughs> yeah yeah exactly and it's it's been lovely so i so, absolutely agree yep so it's okay that day to be late for something because you stopped to play with children or you stopped to visit with a friend or you stopped to take a walk in the park um be sure to tell others on social media all about being late use hashtag national be late for something day as you spread the word the procrastinators club of america was actually founded in 1956 by Les Wass, and shortly after the club's beginning, the committee actually designated September 5th as Be Late for Something Day. Well, for September 5th, I'm doing an international day. Okay. I thought that you and I would really appreciate this day because it's kind of close to our heart. International drink your lunch day? No. No. International support the Coffee Bean Farmers Day. No, but that is an awesome idea. We should start an international day of our own. We should. Okay. September 5th is International Charity Day. Oh, okay, yes. Yes. This is originally an initiative to commemorate Mother Teresa's death that took off worldwide in 2012 when the UN declared it an international holiday. That's really cool. So they originally were honoring Mother Teresa's tireless work, but now it also provides a platform for charitable opportunities for every single person to participate in. There are a couple of different ways that you can, of course, celebrate International Day of Charity. Donate funds to a charity. Okay. Volunteer your time. I um, For that first one, I would actually say, before you donate monetary funds to a charity... Do your, do your research. research. Make sure that that money is actually going to the charity and not the board of directors. Find out how much of each dollar that is donated yes. is used for their cause. Yes. I mean, every charity has some expenses they have to cover in order to be a charity. But it is important to find out how much of your money is actually being used. Yes, because... It is, it is sad. It is very sad. But when you do your research occasionally, you're going to find charities that literally pennies out of every dollar you donate goes to the actual charity that you think you're putting money into. And the rest of it is going to someone's pocket. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Volunteer your time. Absolutely. And you may think that you don't have the ability to volunteer, that you don't have the necessary skills. You can volunteer 
almost anywhere. Our local dog shelter is regularly looking for volunteers to come play with the dogs or to walk the dogs. It doesn't require you to commit a lot of time. It can be a once a year thing. Yeah. It doesn't require a lot of physical or mental or emotional you know, um, output from you. Volunteer at the library to read to children. Volunteer at your local community garden. I mean, there's there's a, a lot of different places. Yes. Find what you like, what your passion is, what you would like to do, what you'd like to learn, and volunteer. That's a good suggestion. Absolutely. I actually volunteered for Habitat for Humanity one time, and I was really skeptical that I would actually be of any benefit to them. Dad used to do that. Yes, but Dad had a lot Dad of... Dad had some construction skills. Yes, that isn't really me. However, I can swing a hammer. I can push a broom. There are things that I can do. Yeah. I can sand. I can, you know, carry things. And you could be a gopher. There I mean, are a lot get of things. what they need. Yep. You can volunteer at your local soup, soup kitchen. Yes. Where all you do is just dish up food on plates for people. Pass yes. out rolls. You know, clear off the table. There are so many opportunities out there and so many charities that really just need the help and they're not looking for anything more than willing hands. That is very true. So, yeah. You can also choose to attend a charity event. There are a lot of them out there. There are auctions and fundraisers. There are, you know, benefits at places like zoos and golfing events, and all kinds of different charity events all around the world, all times of the year, where you can go and enjoy yourself, have an evening or a day out, and make a difference. So I also thought I'd share just a few cute little facts about charity. In a month, more than a third of Australians volunteer their time to a charity, and more than two-thirds of Australians donate money to charities, which makes Australia the most charitable country. On average, women are more likely to help a stranger or to volunteer their time or to donate money to a charity. Yeah. The average age of a United States charity donor is 62. Oh, my God. That does not say anything for our younger generation. It doesn't, but I really feel... Like, having talked to so many of our younger generation, it's really becoming much more of a thing with them now. So I would not be surprised to see that this number drops age-wise, which is amazing. Well, it can start right here at our table. Yes, it can. Okay. 10% of all online donations in 2016 were $1,000 or more. Holy cow. Not, not too shabby. And it really doesn't matter what you donate. I mean, you could donate time. You could donate money. You could donate $1, $10. I mean. I remember this time when we lived in another city together, you and I. And a local business that we had some ties to had adopted a family for Christmas. Oh, yes. That was so much fun. And they had collected some funds. And Mary and I were tasked with using these funds. Oh my God. To go and purchase food. groceries for the holidays for this family. We are food frugal. And we we went to our local Aldi store and we were able to completely fill the entire back seat plus the far back of a minivan with food. And necessities for this family. And it was such an amazing feel-good moment. It is. Um, a couple of years ago, I played Secret Santa to a very, very dear friend and his wife who had Alzheimer's. And they don't, I don't have to worry about him knowing because he doesn't listen to our podcast. Um, and then I had to find a Secret Santa to actually deliver at who did an amazing job. She did an amazing job. And, and the feeling I got from that was just overwhelming. Yeah. So yesterday, frequently I, I try to post things on Facebook that are, I, I don't know if I would call them inspirational, but they are what I'm feeling at the moment. Yes. So yesterday, this was my post. 
My thought for this amazing Tuesday afternoon, you don't need a reason to help people. Helping is, a, is about being honorable, compassionate, being a decent human being. We were all given two arms, one to help ourselves and the other to help our fellow human beings. Life is short, my friends. Help someone today and afterwards ask yourself, who actually received more from the act of giving, them or you? That is an awesome sentiment. That is, yeah, it's kind of funny that that's what I posted yesterday. That is kind of funny. Yes. All right. All right. Moving on. Yes, Mary. Yes. I, have a, I have a little tidbit for us. I have a couple, so I'll go one. I'll do one. You do one, okay? Okay. Yakima, Washington police responded to a residential neighborhood because they got a report of gunshots being fired. Washington, the state. Washington, D.C. Yakima, Washington, so Washington, the state. Oh, okay, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Yakima, I missed that. Maybe it's Yakima. Okay, I gotcha. Uh, so they, shots fired. They arrived at the scene to find a man yelling incoherently near a gun laying at the road, laying on the road, which almost sounds like he's yelling at the gun. Not positive, but <laughs> it seems that the unarmed, the now unarmed man had been loading cans of soda into his refrigerator when one of the cans exploded. Okay. Sound like shots fired? Not yet. He responds by shooting his refrigerator. What? Why would you shoot your refrigerator? That is what the witnesses who saw this said. The man himself had a very different story, though. The people who were living in his basement, this is according to the man who shot his refrigerator. Keep that in mind. The, the people shot his refrigerator? No, the or he man did? shot the refrigerator. This is his portion of the Got story. Got you. Okay. The people living in his basement wanted to kill him. And they fired at him first. And he simply returned fire. Apparently he's not a good shot because he shot his refrigerator. His story doesn't hold a lot of weight when you find out that there's no one actually living in his basement. Doesn't hold a lot of soda either. Also doesn't hold a lot of weight when you don't have a basement for people to live in. Oh my god. <laughs> He's arrested on charges of unlawful possession of a firearm and unlawful discharge of a firearm. And when officers asked him where he got the gun, he said, I found it. <laughs> it was a gift from the people who lived in his basement. Absolutely, as they were shooting at him. <laughs> I love telling you things because oh. I always get those, oh my God. A woman in Belgium. I like Belgiumese people. Well, this woman in Belgium, she's, she has a broken heart. It happens. Not usually like this, though. Okay. She has been banned from visiting the chimpanzees at the local zoo. Only the chimps? Um, it says the chimpanzees. But she can go to the rest of the zoo. I don't know. Okay. <clears throat> she developed a close bond with one of the chimpanzees, which zoo officials have said is preventing the primate from bonding with the other chimps. Okay. Now, I'm not going to name the woman because I just think that that's sad. Um, <clears throat> so this woman had been visiting Cheetah. That's the chimp's name? Yes, yeah, C-H-I-T-A. Oh, okay, cheetah. I was going to say Cheetah's a yes. cat. And Cheetah is a 38-year-old chimpanzee at the Antwerp Zoo. They do grow to be old. She has been going to visit the chimp every single week for four years. Okay, that doesn't sound extreme. The woman claims that she and Cheetah have forged a strong friendship. She told a local reporter that I love that animal and he loves me. Sound a little off? So her relationship has reportedly consisted of the two waving to each other and blowing kisses to each other through the glass, which I'm sure is kind of amusing the first time. And you might even start to feel really special if you can get the chimp to do this repeatedly right, and he's right. only doing it to you. Right. And it probably seems kind of harmless, at right. least at first. But zoo officials are now saying that the friendship is detrimental to Cheetah's social status with the other chimpanzees. When Cheetah is constantly surrounded by visitors, the other monkeys ignore him and they don't consider him part of the group, even though it's important for him to be part of the group. He then sits on his own outside of visiting hours. Like, he's kind of ostracized. Because the group doesn't want him. Right. Okay, but maybe it has nothing to do with this woman. Maybe he's got a very bad cheetah personality. 
In an effort to promote his social well-being, the zoo allegedly banned this woman from visiting him. And this was her response. This is what she told the reporter. I think that the zoo's being a little extreme, honestly. Okay, but... How much harm can waving at a chimpanzee do? But there's more. And this might be what has led to her being banned. This is what she told the local reporter. Are you going to tell us the rest of the story? (laughs) She says, I haven't got anything else. Why do they want to take that away? We're having an affair. I'll just say, other dozens of visitors are allowed to make contact. Then why not me? You're not having an affair with a chimpanzee who is behind a glass wall, lady. That's not an affair. The zoo has explained that Cheetah might be too focused on Timberman to bond with his peers. That's that's their concern, that he is spending all of his time waiting for her, looking for her. He's 38 years old. He should have already bonded. If you don't bond by the age of 38, you're never going to. They want him to be a chimpanzee as much as possible. Now, he has been at the zoo for 30 years. If he hasn't bonded by now, he's not going to. There's something about his personality. Prior to his time at the zoo, he was someone's pet. That's why he's probably not socializing. So for the first eight years of his life. Yeah. But eventually he became unmanageable. (laughs) And so he... You think... A wild animal. Right. And so he... Not making a good pet. And so he was relinquished. Though he's learned chimpanzee behavior at the zoo, he still has a bond and an interest in humans, which, of course, is pretty normal. Those are his formative years that he spent with this human. Right. Of course, that's what he knows. That was his life. That's what he was taught. So there was a study that was conducted by Stephen Ross and Hanny Friedman back in 2014. And it showed the chimpanzees that had been separated from their mothers early and raised primarily by humans showed social deficiencies even many years later. Uh, yeah, you think? So separate, you're, now you're just going to make him depressed because now he know, no longer has this woman he's having an affair with. Grooming is the glue that holds chimpanzee societies together, the, guy, the one Ross, uh, Stephen Ross, had, had said. We found chimpanzees that were around humans a lot early in, a lot early in life tended not to be a lot. We found chimpanzees that were around humans a lot early in life tended not to do a lot of the chimpanzee grooming. Right. Because even later because they learned... Their formative years are past. It's just right. like a human being. Right, exactly. Um, so even after they've learned to live with other chimpanzees, they're not good at maintaining the social bonds. Right, and so there are lower rates of grooming and other right. social behavior that the other chimpanzees all do together and, and help interact with. He's not going to change. He's not going to learn to socially bond with these chimpanzees. They're never going to accept him. So it says, sadly, Cheetah may always struggle to bond with his peers. Hopefully, handlers at the zoo can help him learn to adapt to a life with his fellow primates. I don't know that banning just one single woman... From interacting with him is no. going to change this. I think you've exasperate, exacerbated <laughs> the situation. I think that you're going to make it worse on the chimpanzee who bonded with this woman. Right. Strange as it may be and strange as she may be and whatever medication she may need. If you're going to allow other people, other visitors, other humans to have regular contact with him, I don't see that banning... As odd as her behavior may seem, as odd as her as her um, mental and emotional attachment to this chimpanzee may seem, I don't know that just simply banning that one it's not woman gonna fix what's going would, on with right. That. If, especially if they're allowing other humans to continue to come and visit and see I him. I think that even if they didn't allow any humans, I think that you'd still have that problem with him because he doesn't know how to socially bond with. But, all right, let's move on. Let's find something a little bit more fun. Okay. We're going to go back to the police again. Okay. Uh, Not sure where this is located. Police announce that an explosion during a controlled detonation of illegal fireworks... Yes. ...was caused by an apparent miscalculation. So we have a controlled detonation that actually exploded. Not in a good way. Okay. They had, in the course of their duties, come across some fireworks that needed to be removed and safely disposed of. 
Because when they found the fireworks, some of them were leaking, and they were deemed to be too unstable to move. The officers uh, opted to detonate them in a containment vessel mounted on a large truck. Okay, so you got a picture in your head? Yes. Okay. They loaded what they estimated to be about 16 and a half pounds of explosives into the container. Which doesn't seem like a lot when you think, oh, 16 and a half pounds, but explosive-wise... Right. The container was rated for a maximum capacity of 25 pounds. Okay. So we should be in the safe range, right? Right. Investigators soon learned that their estimates were low. They had actually detonated over 42 pounds of explosives. Oh, I. How in the hell? Who in the hell estimates something to be 16 and a half pounds and it's actually 42 pounds? That's like three times, almost three times. I feel like I know some people who do math that way. They might work for the government. They estimated their weight by actually slicing into two samples and guessing what they extracted out of it. Which I just have to say, when you're working with explosives and fireworks, I don't think think estimating is a good good plan. No, not so much. Although, I feel like Dad would have done that. Without a scale. Mm -hmm. They didn't even have a scale. Because of their miscalculations, estimations, or flat-out stupidity, the containment vessel failed to contain the explosives. Oh, gee, I'm not surprised. Injured 17 people, damaged several homes, and displaced all the residents in the area for a week. Oh, my God. So, rule of thumb, guesstimating weights is okay when you're in the kitchen cooking. Not... Okay, when you're working with explosives. It's almost as dangerous as trying to guess the weight of your wife. Whoa. I don't know where you came up with that, but yeah, whoa. My husband, <laughs> yeah, whoa, yeah. No, All right. We, no, we're not guessing. No, okay. Remember that um, I did that story about the bees? Yeah. And the, and, and the, and honey. the honey. Yes, Kay. yes. The colored honey. I have a little story to go along with that. Okay. So, in a way, and anyone who wasn't listening, Hannah did a story about bees that uh, didn't have a regular food source, and so there was a candy factory, Skittles maybe? M&M's. M&M's nearby, uh, and the workers had put some of the containers out after being used and before washing, and the bees were actually feeding out of the containers, and their honey was discolored. Have you ever seen a blue bee before? No. I'm sure you haven't. The blue bee is so rare that most people think that someone made them up. I would have said someone made it up. It, they're a real thing. And in a really, really awesome turn of events, the blue bee has returned from near extinction. Oh, yay! This rare bee has now been found in Florida, nearly four years after it was last seen. The blue Calamintha bee, with its beautiful indigo coloring... <laughs> was once discovered back in 2011. Now, this blue bee collects pollen by bobbing its head against the flowers to dislodge the pollen, which is something that other bees don't do. So I just thought it was really, really interesting, and I wanted to show you a picture. Ready? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's super cool. I love that. They do not make blue honey. <clears throat> just want to put oh, that thank out there. God. They don't make blue honey, but they are absolutely gorgeous. And... Uh, and they're really unique looking, and I think I would love to see one. Oh, God, yes. How amazing is that? That is beautiful. It I really just is. thought that that would be kind of a cool little tidbit to share with you guys. It is. Yeah. Okay, I have one more tidbit. One more tidbit? Yeah. Cool. All right. And then I have okay. a silly little story. It's a little mini story. Okay. Little teeny tiny mini story. Okay. This story dates back to February 9th of 1896. Oh, my. President of the Board of Commissioners, who's running the New York City Police Department, declares war on banana peels. (laughs) What? President summons the captains, sergeants, the roundsmen from a number of various police precincts around. They have this big meeting, says what he has to say, and he makes it very clear that they have to do something regarding the prevalence of banana peels on the streets of the city's east side. This is a problem. <clears throat> he points out 
people tend to slip on banana peels and then they fall. We'd just like to say that <clears throat> slipping on banana peels has not been the issue in my adult life that I once thought it would be. Because when I was a because child... Because this man, this man I was just took say, care of the problem for you so we don't have to worry about it. When I was a child, I was <laughs> sure that this would, this would be a thing. That I would have to watch out for banana peels as an adult because, you know... Yeah. They're dangerous. Yes. Yes, they are. I'm so glad this man was on top of it. Yes. His complaint wasn't just limited to banana peels, though. He also requested that all the policemen work to keep the streets clear of apple skins, potato skins, and any other similar produce byproducts. Mm. Because apparently they just threw it out in the gutters, ended up on the street. Right. Which, I mean, mm. if they were wet and soggy, I can see how they might, and, you know, they start to decay they could be a little on the slick side yeah but if nobody ever cleans them up either i mean yeah. then you end up with a lot and that would be disgusting <clears throat> so this this um followed a complaint that was made by colonel george waring jr who was hired by the city in 1895 to deal with its intolerable sanitary conditions uh, yeah in new york city the streets were covered in horse manure urine the carcasses of horses were prevalent and garbage was piled Knee deep on the streets. That is unbelievably disgusting. They didn't really have garbage removal. I know. I'm. I'm just like the the horse carcasses <laughs> and the knee deep yes. part kind of got me. I mean, but, if oof. you own a horse and it dies while you're working, as a business person, you don't really have the means to move the horse because your mode of transportation is now laying on the street. So you just walk away from it. Not your problem anymore. Ugh. So, through both regulations and an army of street cleaners, Colonel George Waring was able to get the streets cleaned within a year, and he wanted to keep it that way. All right. There's already a law on the books to do this. It read in part, Any part or portion of any fruit or vegetable or any other substance which, when stepped upon by any person, is liable to cause or does cause him or her to slip or fall shall be deemed guilty of a misdemeanor. The fine for violating this law... Ranged between $1 and $5. Which back then was a lot, a, of, money. A lot of money. That's a very significant fine in the late 1800s. Even worse, along with your fine, you can receive 1 to 10 days in jail. Okay. The law also required every vendor who sold produce to post in big letters a copy of this ordinance. Okay. <clears throat> the president of the Board of Commissions realized that the law was difficult to enforce, but he requested that officers do their best in their attempt to do so. Okay. Okay. So that's kind of what started the whole garbage keeping off the street thing. Right. Yada, yada, no yada. littering. <clears throat> so who was this man who had the audacity to ask the garbage be kept off the streets of New York City? I don't know. His uh, friend? You said his name was Waring. No. Oh. No. Okay. Colonel George Waring is the guy that took care of it. Oh, okay. The president of the Board of Commissioners who was running New York City. Oh, okay, okay, okay. He's the one that went all the people and said, this has got to stop. Gotcha. Okay, two separate people here. His friends called him Teddy. Was this Teddy Roosevelt? His parents had named him Theodore Roosevelt Jr. That's very interesting because <laughs> he actually, uh, he makes a slight appearance in my story too. Oh my gosh. Yes. That's, that's funny as hell. It is. <clears throat> that is super funny. It is. All right. You have anything else little for us? No. Okay. Nope. We're at a good, good, good point for you to tell a story. <clears throat> Let's talk cheese. We have talked cheese. <laughs> Not on this podcast. Not on this podcast, but we have, we have talked cheese. <laughs> we didn't talk this cheese though. Let's talk specifically about Velveeta. Okay. America's best known cheese. What are your thoughts about Velveeta, Mary? I'm not a cheese snob. <clears throat> Velveeta works fine in certain conditions. Because it melts really easily. It melts very smoothly. Velveeta really has no flavor, in my opinion. And the texture of Velveeta leaves a little to be desired, in my opinion. As a grown-up, I also know that Velveeta is simply processed cheese food. It's not even real cheese. Kind of hesitant to put pretend stuff in my mouth, and unless there's alcohol involved. All right. Keep everything you just said in mind, and we're going to run with this story. You're not serving lunch, are you? You won't want lunch when I get done with this. Great. This is your new diet plan right here. Great. <laughs> Let me finish this 
Oh no, calorie land drink first. <laughs> you'll want the drink. You won't want lunch. For many households, Velveeta is a must-have. Can't run out of it. Staple. But how much do people really know about Velveeta? Nothing. Beyond knowing if they love it or they hate it, that is. So I thought it might be fun to share the story or the tragedy behind America's iconic <laughs> yellow block. I wonder if that's what they used to make the ice cream with. <laughs> <laughs> For our listeners that are not here in the U.S. and who have absolutely no idea what I'm talking about, let me explain. Velveeta, which is produced by Kraft Foods Company, is a rectangular yellow block of soft, squishy cheese product that has a slightly strong, salty, tangy flavor. I wouldn't really know how to describe it. I wouldn't call it salty, strong, or tangy. I wouldn't. Well, I think, I think it's kind of but If you've ever melted it and eaten it on a sandwich by itself, it melts beautifully. Salty, strong, tangy. That's how I would describe okay. it by itself. Okay. It melts down into a velvety liquid, which. I got some in the fridge. You want to try it now? Nope. <laughs> which is called yellow gold by some devoted fans. Oh, absolutely. It can be found in a multitude of sizes and, more recently, variety of flavors, as well as being included in a lot of ready-to-make side dishes that can be bought in almost every American supermarket. All kinds of little side dishes that come with packets of Velveeta yeah. cheese now. Yep. Yep. I'm a little bit afraid of any liquid cheese product that comes in a packet that can sit on a shelf for three years. I would guess that there are very few Americans who have not, at some point in their life, eaten Velveeta. And as Mary said, that's the other thing. Velveeta, when you buy it, is sitting on the shelf. It's not refrigerated. Keep no, that in mind. There's nothing refrigerated. It's because it's not an actual dairy product. It's not actually cheese. It's cheese processed food. Let's processed food. let's start at the beginning though. Okay. A man by the name of Julius Wettstein immigrated to the U.S. from Germany. Okay. With his wife and his children in the 1870s. Okay. The family ended up in New York. In New York. In New York. Right before they cleaned up the streets. In the town of Monroe. There, Julius built himself a cheese factory, which produced a line of fine French, German, and Swiss cheeses. Yummy. I don't like to live by him. His cheese was so good that it fetched a high sale price. The business was... A success. Germans are smart people. Julius was able to continue to expand and grow the business that he built as time went on. Unfortunately, though, Julius's wife Matilda began to suffer from declining health, and eventually the decision was made that she would return to Germany, taking their four children with her, while Julius stayed behind to find a buyer for his successful cheese factory. And in late February of 1878, Julius sold the factory to Majus Gross and Company. Julius stayed in New York until May, helping the new owners with the transition before returning to Germany to reunite with the ones he loved. For the price of $16,000, the new owners had received a two-story house, a two-story factory, a barn, two carriages, a truck, a horse, all of the business equipment. Well, if you buy a business, you should get the equipment. And a cheese formula known as fromage de brie. Fromage de brie. We all that know it my, as... That was my French accent. We all know it as brie. Oh, okay. Okay. Most of us are familiar with brie. Okay. The new owners, a group of three men, ran the cheese business for the next six years. <clears throat> they did just fine. But in 1894, they sold the company, complete with the formulas, including a few new formulas... To Adolf Toad and Ferdinand Wolf. Toad and Wolf. There's a joke in there somewhere. There's a joke in there somewhere. They sold the business for $25,000. Okay. Which, I mean, you think about it, in six years, they made money off the business and then sold it for an additional $9,000, yeah. which back then was an incredible amount of money. Yeah, they did well. In 1898, a 21-year-old Swiss cheesemaker by the name of Emil Frey was hired to work for the cheese company by the new owners. By the new owners. Yep. Emil was the son of a cheesemaker, and he had recently come to the U.S. with his father. Adolf Toad, 
also owned a delicatessen. He was frustrated that the cheese that he would order would spoil in transit while being shipped to the U.S. due to a lack of proper refrigeration. This is the dude that just bought the cheese factory. Yes, but he liked this one particular cheese that wasn't made at the cheese factory. Oh, okay. He liked a cheese that came from overseas, and he would have it shipped, but a lot of times it would spoil in transit. He should how to make it in his factory. So he challenged his cheesemakers to come up with a domestic Bismarck cheese for him. That was the cheese that he liked. Young Frey took the challenge to heart, and he spent the next couple of years experimenting with different formulas trying to come up with a cheese that would meet the requirements of his boss. Okay. His efforts were met with success. What Frey came up with wasn't what he had been aiming for, but it was something amazing nonetheless. Frey invented a gold-crusted, soft-ripening, spreadable cheese. He sent it over to Toad at the Delicatessen, which he did with every new batch of cheese that he came up with. Right. And Toad ordered Frey to quit trying to imitate the Bismarck cheese. Instead, he wanted him to focus on this latest formula. The cheese had become an instant hit. Wow. Much more popular than even the Bismarck cheese, which had been in high demand already. Frey's new invention was eventually named Liederkranz, after a famous New York singing society, which included Theodore Roosevelt. Oh, my God. <laughs> okay. Liederkranz actually translates to Song of the Wreaths, an odd name for cheese, if you ask me. Liederkranz became a high-demand item almost overnight and could be found served in many high-end restaurants and hotels across the U.S. Sadly, though not uncommon, the owners of the cheese factory weren't really good businessmen. Despite the success, the cheese company went into foreclosure. That's sad. It is. The business and the property were then purchased from the bank by Jacob Weisel. He was a New York City wholesale grocer. He and his family would turn the cheese factory back into a success. For the next 38 years, wow. the Weisel family guided the business from one success to another. By May of 1915, the factory was shipping more than one ton of liter crons per day. All Holy across the U.S. Shit. Yeah, yeah, for real. All across the U.S. and even to other countries. Wow. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) The Weisel family opened a second factory in Covington, Pennsylvania. Good for them. This factory focused mainly on producing Swiss cheese wheels. But there seemed to be a problem. Too many of the cheese wheels were broken or misshapen and couldn't actually be sold. That's a lot of money and product to waste. So... What could they do with that? How do you break cheese wheels? I don't know. But remember that back then cheese was making was probably not quite the, I don't know. Just just go with it. Okay. <laughs> just go with it. I don't know. I don't understand. I'd have tried to figure out what was going on that it was happening. But I'm not okay. like everybody else. Okay. So. They didn't want to waste the cheese. Okay. So what what can they do with it? Shred it. The unsellable cheese was shipped back to the Monroe factory in New York, where Weisel tasked Frey with finding a solution. Frey spent the next couple of years tinkering with the broken Swiss cheese, often at home on his own stove. You do realize you brought Swiss cheese back into this story. Stop. Stop. who's completely confused go to murder mischief in moscato and listen to the episode titled the funniest one yet it's the story of the swiss cheese pervert (laughs) johanna's trying really hard to regain her composure because she's lost it somewhere on the floor (laughs) i kind of like when i do that to you in 1918 Frey stumbled upon his next great success. Frey discovered that by mixing the broken Swiss with other cheeses, cheese byproducts, which I actually did a little research on because I was like, that's gross. Cheese byproducts are things like whey and skim milk. 
Oh, whey is amazing for so many things. Right. So cheese byproducts, not a bad thing. No. So Swiss, some other cheeses. Yeah, anytime you some, make cheese, you get whey. Right. So some cheese byproducts. And then he added sodium citrate. And he discovered that by mixing all of these things together on his stove, he could create a velvety, smooth product that melted down into a perfect liquid that didn't separate. So for anybody who's ever tried to melt real cheese down, you know that it can end up being kind of a gloopy, oily mess. Yeah, it, it doesn't is. usually melt well. Yeah, a lot of cheeses do not melt well. Well, here was the trick. The sodium citrate changes the state of the casein, allowing it to form something more soluble and resistant to heat without allowing the cheese to break down completely. I didn't know exactly what casein was, so I also looked that up. Okay. Did a lot of side research for this story. Okay. You learned a lot of things. Casein is the protein that makes up about 80% of any animal milk, specifically cow milk. Okay. He called his new success Velveeta. It's always been called Velveeta? Velveeta. That is what he named it in 1918. Wow. Because of its velvety 103 texture. years ago. And, again... Instant overnight success. Took him years to get there, though. In February of 1923, Velveeta Production was split off into its own company. It was called the Velveeta Cheese Company. Both companies were successful for a while. The general manager, Max Schaefer, had become the driving force behind the success of the cheese companies. With his help, not only had the two cheese companies thrived, he had also helped to establish the Monroe Racetrack and the Monroe Driving Park Association. He was helping build up the town. He was making the company successful. Awesome. Tragically, Max Schaefer was killed in a car accident in 1925. And following his death, Monroe Cheese Company made the decision to close both of their existing factories in order to move the businesses to Ohio, where milk production was plentiful and cheap. In 1927, the Velveeta Cheese Company was sold to Kraft Foods, who still owns it today. Yeah. In 1929, the remaining half of the business that was known as Monroe Cheese Company was bought out by Borden's. Hmm. Liederkranz remained popular for several more decades until production was ceased in 1988. In 2010, a Wisconsin company resurrected the cheese recipe and began production. So you can buy Liederkranz again. Oh, cool. Emil Frey continued to work for Borden's as general manager until he retired in 1938. He passed away in 1951. In the late 20s and the early 30s, Kraft marketed Velveeta as a healthier cheese option. <laughs> well, hold on, wait, wait. Remember back then, though, it was made with real cheese and whey and yes, milk. Yes, that is true. Okay, that is true. It was actually marketed toward women who wanted to watch their figure. Okay. During the Depression, milk was expensive, but Velveeta wasn't. It was marketed as an affordable and healthy way to keep your family fed. In the 1930s, the American Medical Association declared Velveeta to be a family-friendly, super-nutritious goodness. Keep in mind that at one point, the AMA also endorsed cigarettes as a health treatment. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> Fast forward to the 1950s, where our story takes kind of a left turn, if you will, in the wrong direction. Okay. Kraft began releasing Kraft singles, which are individually wrapped slices of American cheese. Food. At that point, in order to avoid having competing products, Kraft remarketed Velveeta. They were now advertising it as more of a sauce, dip, and casserole ingredient. They began to include recipes in their advertisements as well. I'd like to share a few of those with oh, you. Oh, no. Okay. We're ready. May I offer you Velveeta cheese sauce over a toasted peanut butter and pickle sandwich? Oh! Sorry, I have to clean that one up. <laughs> Perhaps Velveeta and chocolate fudge. Over ice cream? No, just, just fudge made with chocolate and Velveeta. Oh. If you just take chocolate chips and Velveeta and melt them together, you can make fudge. No. 
How about a cold baked bean and Velveeta sandwich for your next picnic? You and I are not sitting at the same table. <laughs> a festive broiled Velveeta pineapple and peanut butter sandwich complete with a maraschino cherry? This is a look of horror. <laughs> Can I tempt you with a Velveeta and jelly omelet? Oh, I can see why they stopped. Did anybody actually try these things before they put them out? And for dessert? No. Let me offer you a Velveeta cheesecake with an Oreo crust. <laughs> Are you gagging yet and throwing up because... I Because <laughs> my stomach's a little queasy. I don't. These are legitimate recipes that I found advertisements for. Oh my god. So if any of these sound delicious to goodness. If any of these sound delicious to our listeners, they can look them up and try them out. We don't need to know the results. At some point during the 1950s, Velveeta was completely reformulated. More or less into what we know it as today. So let me share with you what kind of unhealthy monster phrase great bravo. At some point during the 1950s, Velveeta was completely reformulated, more or less into what we know it as today. Okay. So let me share with you what kind of unhealthy monster phrase great discovery has morphed into. In 2002, the Food and Drug Administration sent Kraft Foods a letter warning them that they must remove the words cheese spread from the packaging of Velveeta. The package now reads, pasteurized prepared cheese product. It is now technically a manufactured food product that contains cheese. Sort of. Sort of. Sort of. By sort of, this is what I mean. The current ingredient list for Velveeta reads as follows. Milk, water, whey, milk protein concentrate, milk fat, whey protein concentrate, sodium phosphate. Have you heard anything about cheese yet? No, but cheese comes from milk. It does. We've made it. Contains 2% or less of salt, calcium phosphate, lactic acid, sorbic acid, sodium citrate, sodium alginate, enzymes, epicaratinol, annatto, and finally, the very last ingredient. Last but not least. Cheese cultures. Less than 2% cheese cultures. That's right. Cheese cultures. Not even real cheese. Very last ingredient on the list. Less than 2%. I was curious about what some of these ingredients that I didn't immediately recognize were, so I researched them, because we both know that's what I do. Annatto is an orange-red food coloring derived from the seed of the achio tree. So they make Cheetos out of (laughs) Yes, yes, exactly. (laughs) No, please don't believe that. I don't. Apocaratinol is a carotenoid used mainly as a food coloring, also orange-red in color. So we have several food colorings in there. Most cheeses are comprised of a combination of some sort of animal milk, rennet, which is an enzyme used to break the solid milk particles from the water that's found in all animal milk. Yep. And sometimes salt is added. Yes. Usually, well, when I've made cheese, you use a little bit of salt, yes. Yes. True cheese making produces preservatives, naturally. Yes. That's why cheese lasts as long as it does. Yes. Well, Velveeta lasts a long time. Velveeta has a large amount of preservative agents in it because Velveeta does not undergo the cheese-making process. Velveeta has less calcium than real cheese, but has more lactose than real cheese. Lovely. And if you don't understand how that's possible, I didn't either. So again, research, (laughs) and I will explain. Lactose is another word for milk sugars. Real cheese is low in lactose because the bacteria that turns the milk into cheese eats the milk sugars. Kind of like yeast does for wine or beer. That's exactly my next sentence. Oh, okay. The same way that bacteria consumes the sugar in fruit to turn it into alcohol. Right. Precisely. Okay. Velveeta contains 9.3% lactose by volume. In real cheese? Swiss has 3.4%. 
Parmesan has less than 3%. Roquefort, 2%. Munster has less than 2%. So Velveeta has three times as much as the rest of them. Minimum. Stilton has just 0.8% lactose. I've got some crumbly cheese. Velveeta contains more ta- lactose than milk does. Milk ranges from 48 to 5.2%, depending on the milk. Right. Velveeta is closer to evaporated milk, which contains 10% lactose. Damn. The common one-pound block that Velveeta comes in. It's the typical size you buy, that most people would buy. Okay. It's 16 servings. Each serving is 80 calories. 50 of those are from fat, including 6 grams, or, yeah, including 6 grams of, uh, each serving is 80 calories. 50 of them are from fat, including 4 grams of saturated fat. 3 grams of carbs, 2 grams of the carbs are from sugar. Each serving contains 410 milligrams of sodium in a one ounce serving. Jesus, that's a lot of sodium. If Velveeta is your guilty, or not so guilty, pleasure, know that you may not be eating what you think you're eating. We all grew up calling Velveeta cheese. Oh, yeah, we did. It's like everybody else we knew. It was Velveeta cheese. And if you can no longer stomach the thought of putting this uncontaminated by cheese food-like product in your mouth, (laughs) but you still crave it, just know that there are some really good recipes online for making your own homemade Velveeta that you won't regret. They're actually not difficult to make. No, cheese is fun. Well... And this, you're taking cheese and some sodium citrate, which is easy to obtain. Yeah. And, and yeah, it's really not. For me, I'm going to tell you that I will not miss Velveeta in my life. I am not even remotely sad to be so informed now. But I will say that I am sad that Frey's greatest invention because became such a Frankenstein freak of a product in the name of profit. Wow. Yeah. Good story. Yes. Velveeta started out as a really amazing product, and now it's, mm, I'm not even sure how many molecules away from plastic it might be. Not very many. All right. On a side note. Yeah. Just got a message from a listener. Yes. Back on August 25th, our episode for Murder, Mischief, and Moscato, Hannah always does a national event. Yes. Do you remember what your national event was? Um, I am sure I can tell you. It was Amelia Earhart. Oh, okay. And what a fascinating, badass woman she was. Oh, absolutely. Amelia Earhart did part of her schooling in Pennsylvania. I did not know that. Our Grandma Rose said she knew her. Oh. That would have been some fascinating stories to hear. Yes, it certainly would. Sadly, you and I never got to meet Grandma We never got to meet her. Nope. She passed away before either one of us was born. Yeah. And I know that when she passed away, that most of our siblings were fairly young. Yeah. But yes, our listener just told us that our Grandma Rose knew Amelia Earhart. How awesome is that? No. See, you just never know what this podcast will add to I know. And she's over here giving me a dirty look because I'm checking my phone. And I've got amazing shit to share. Well, of course I'm giving you dirty looks because, you know, we don't use our phones while we're recording. No, not generally. We don't. No. Alrighty. I have all kinds of notes for this episode. Yeah? Yes. It'll be fun. All right. So, you have a little story for us? No. No? We are over the one hour mark, so. Oh, my goodness. Okay. So, we're just going to stop there. We're going to call it good. (coughs) We had a lot of good tidbits. We did. An amazing story about, we all knew Velveeta was not real cheese. Well, you know, here's the thing. We have listeners all over the world. Oh, yeah. So, I don't... And ass- people are going, you people put that in your mouth? I mean, because we do. We have listeners all over the world now, like... We do. And unfortunately, there are a lot of things allowed on the shelves in America, in the U.S., that are not allowed to be sold anywhere else on this planet. Yes, because the United States is stupid. We, we literally, we are. We are stupid. We will put shit on the shelves because someone pays us or pays someone really big bucks to allow them to put it on the shelf, even though it's not good for us. 
It's well, detrimental. The, well, and the other thing is that just because each of those products by themselves might not be terrible for you, when you put them all together, it doesn't mean that it's good for you. No. No. You know, baking soda isn't bad for you. Vinegar isn't bad for you. Put them together, they're explosive. Yeah. So. That's gas from hell. <laughs> So Here, I'm, drink this. <laughs> right? I'm going to fly while I dump a tablespoon of baking soda in you. It's a live volcano. We're doing a live show that day. <laughs> oh, you can be the receiver because that's not going in me. But you know what? We'll use an American off the street. We'll give him five bucks. Oh, God. Let's not because we're not into abusing people. Anyway. Anyway, I just, I really wanted to do this story I actually started out to research something entirely different. That's how it frequently happens. And this is where it ended up. This so you're welcome. how it frequently happens. You're welcome. And if you never eat Velveeta again, I don't feel bad. Thank you to everybody who stopped by, shared part of your day with us, lent us your ear, listened to our silliness, and maybe learned something you really didn't care to learn. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that you got some laughs out of stuff. I hope you've got some giggles out of stuff. We hope you enjoyed Hannah's story today. She's a very good storyteller, as I frequently mention on our Twitter. Well, thank you. You can find us at, on Facebook at Tell Me Something I Didn't Need to Know. You can find us on Twitter at T-M-S-I-D-N-T-K. Gmail is the same thing, T-M-S-I-D-N-T-K. What? Yeah. How did that happen? It's like the best coincidence ever. I know. We are very open, and we very much welcome any suggestions, comments, ideas. If you have a strange story, a strange tidbit, send it to us. We'd be glad to share it on air, and we will give you credit. I love it when our listeners send us stuff. I really do. Please do not send us your Velveeta recipes. We don't We have enough of our own. (laughs) (laughs) If you enjoyed everything you heard, and if you enjoyed your shop, yeah, bleh. If you enjoyed your short stop with us today, feel free to follow us. Give us a rating and a review because it does help. It helps us and it helps others find us. Yes, it does. Um, and you can find us pretty much obviously anywhere you're listening to your podcast at because we are everywhere. So if you have a friend that you want to recommend us to who doesn't listen on the same platform you do, they can probably still find us. Yes. Um, if you're interested in cross-advertising, hit us up. Feel free to share the podcast with anybody you know, with people you don't know, with your worst enemy. We don't really care. We're not picky. Just share us. That's right. Anything else? I have a final thought. Hi, here's a final thought. What is your final thought? Would you like some cheesecake? (laughs) Have a great week, guys. Bye. Bye.